The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Well, last week it was great for us to have Joseph Stagora with us. He continued to help us walk through the Sermon on the Mount, helping us to see what kingdom people look like, helping us to hear the Lord's radical call to obedience and holiness. We discussed our need to turn from unrighteous anger, reminded it's not simply outward acts of aggression that are sinful, but the inward hate towards another is just as destructive. Well, today the Lord brings the spotlight of truth to another dark corner of the human soul, sexual immorality. I did send an email out earlier this week to parents uh, to give you a heads up on the sensitive nature of our message this morning, and and while it can be uncomfortable for us to talk about these types of things, we thank God that His Word speaks to all areas of life, and we must hear from God's Word on all matters that He speaks to. So we don't avoid topics like this when they confront us in the Scriptures, and it's particularly important that we discuss this together because the Lord, as we see in the Scriptures, cares very deeply about our sexuality and how we use our bodies. Hear this quote from pastor theologian Kevin DeYoung. It cannot be overstated how seriously the Bible treats the sin of sexual immorality. Sexual sin is never considered a matter of indifference, an agree-to-disagree issue. To the contrary, sexual immorality is precisely the sort of sin that characterizes those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There are at least eight vice lists in the New Testament, and sexual immorality is included in every one of these. You would be hard-pressed to find a sin more frequently, more uniformly, and more seriously condemned in the New Testament than sexual sin. If God cares this much about what we do with our bodies, we must too, especially as we seek to navigate what is an extremely sexualized culture. We cannot pick up our phones, turn on the TV, or even drive down the road past Billboard. I was driving this morning and even just a, an ad on the radio. We run the risk of encountering some kind of explicit material. We live in a culture that is unhinged with regard to sexual restraint. Just listen to some of these statistics. Sexual content appears in 64% of all TV programs. It's estimated that 40 million Americans regularly view pornography, 55% of married uh, men and 25% of married women say they watch pornography at least once a month. About 21% of Gen Z Americans identify under the LGBTQ spectrum. By age 20, 75% of Americans have had premarital sex One out of every six American women has been the victim of an attempted or completed sexual assault. And these are just a few of the statistics. This is sobering. And this is not a new problem that we face. Take the Greco-Roman world that Jesus walked around in. It was an extremely sexualized society, and men in particular lacked constraint and engaged in all forms of promiscuity. 
And we can go back further than that. Much of the book of Proverbs speaks to the strong temptation that this area can be. The Old Testament is full of tragic stories that often involve some kind of sexual misconduct. Our sinful natures and the enemy love to seize control of our sexuality and take what was intended for a great and precious good and use it for evil. The Lord knows this and he calls us to something better. As kingdom people, he wants us to walk in the good pleasure and freedom of sexual purity, not in the dark and painful places of sexual sin. So please turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 27 to 30, where we will hear the Lord's exhortation towards holiness in this area. Let me pray for us. Father, we do just ask that you meet us this morning. We know, Lord, that this is an area that has a grip on many on our society, Lord, and we know that you speak to it because you desire good for us, because you are a good and gracious God. So I pray you would meet us this morning and and that all of us, no matter what it is that we deal with in our lives, where we are at in relation to these issues, Lord, that we would catch a big view of who you are and we would desire intimacy with you, that we would desire fellowship with you, And that we would love you. And we pray that you would do that in our hearts this morning. Be with us, we pray, by the power of your spirit, that we might understand and be changed and challenged by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Our message this morning ties in with our message next week, which is on divorce, which the Lord addresses in the next section. The two will work together to anchor us in God's good design for marriage and for sexuality, with today's message particularly focused on his intentions for sex and physical expression about which he cares deeply. Our, cu- our culture's motto is sex, when you want it, however you want it, and with whomever you want it, no strings attached. Well, the Lord does not share this same motto. This warning and call to action from the Lord reminds us that he has sacred and wonderful plans for our sexuality. And to abuse the good gift that he has given us in sex is to sin against him, to commit adultery towards others, and places us in the path of condemnation and judgment rather than the path of freedom and delight. Now, before we go any further, I want to speak to a few situations. I recognize today that there are some listening who've never been or maybe never will be married. 
never will have the context to engage sexually or who have not had good marriages or who have been abused. If you've never been married, I want you to know that sex, while it's a wonderful gift, it's not paramount to human flourishing and personal fulfillment like our culture says it is. If sex were the aim of life, then Christ failed to be a happy human. Because remember, he was not married. But we know that Christ was the most content, the most blessed human who has ever walked this earth. He found his greatest delight in God. And while if you long to be married to enjoy the good gifts that come along with it. I pray along with you that the Lord would give that gift to you, but know that if he should not, he has good for you. And your greatest source of intimacy and your greatest source of joy on this earth truly is to be with God. That's true for those of us who are married as well. Our marriages should serve to draw us closer to God. They are meant to point us towards that higher intimacy that we have with God. Our singleness and abstinence can serve to draw us closer to God and point us towards intimacy with Him. And those who have been or are in marriages that are deeply painful or broken or have experienced sexual abuse, we mourn with you, knowing that as with all good things, our sin can terribly abuse them. Know, though, that if you trust in the Lord, He is with you in your pain, and will one day bring full restoration and healing to you, whether on this earth or in the age to come. But in the midst of our disappointments and our pain, which all of us in one way or another have felt in this area, there's no person in this room who has not been touched by the depravity of human sexual deviation. In the midst of that, we do not devalue what God values or give up the pursuit of what he calls us to, but instead we trust in him for our comfort and our hope, and we seek a Godward view of what he has ordained. Because God has given us sex and marriage for great good. And we want to be a people who have a high view of these things, and who pursue wholeheartedly God's design for these things, that we might experience the goodness and the pleasure that he offers. Which is why we must believe, as our passage reminds us today, that sex is a sacred, God-glorifying act and must be guarded and protected at all costs. So we're going to look at three things this morning. The, The glorious gift of sex, the gross distortion of sex, and the godly fight for purity. So first, the glorious gift of sex For our youth night recently, we had a return to childhood night. I had classic kids games and classic kids snacks. It was primarily return to my childhood. It was all the things that I like and (laughs) grew up with. But anyway, I tried for the first time in probably 25 years some snacks that I used to love. I tried Gushers and I tried Dunkaroos. Gushers are these little gummy candies with a splash of just like fruit goo in the middle of them. And Dunkaroos are these little wafers 
with a packet of frosting that you dip them in. Well, I was really let down by both. <laughs> I've, I've come to realize when it comes to sweets, I've become a bit of a snob. As I get older, calories and sugar intake are precious. And if I'm going to indulge myself, I want something good. Give me a good home-baked good. Give me a finely crafted piece of patisserie. I don't want mass-produced sugar bombs that lack finesse and, quite frankly, taste like they were made for (laughs) eight-year-olds. Needless to say, I won't be returning anytime soon to Gushers or Dunkaroos. The reality is I've tasted and I've caught a vision for something so much better. And in that taste of something good, I lost my appetite for cheap imitation. As believers... If we are to heed the Lord's commands, we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. And in the pursuit of holiness and self-control in all areas of our lives, if we're not captivated by the possibility of nearness to our glorious God and the goodness of His ways, then we're going to fail to grow in grace. And this is especially true when it comes to purity. And overcoming the strong pulls that sinful sexual desires can have on us. As believers, we must be convinced that God's ways are good. And better than anything else that this world has to offer. And the reality is what God offers us in the proper expression of intimacy is so much richer and deeper and glorious than the cheap garbage that we are so often fed and so often give ourselves over to. From the beginning, God made clear that sex was a meaningful act. We're told in the book of Genesis that it was not good for man to be alone. Thus, he created Eve as a companion, as a helpmate, as a lover, As a friend, we shouldn't be afraid to acknowledge what God's created order makes clear. Man and woman, men and women were created to complement each other and to function sexually only with each other. And this design is a good one. When Adam sees Eve, he bursts into poetic delight expressing his joy over her. We read from the very very beginning that God intends for a man to leave his father and mother and to hold fast to his wife, that the two would become one flesh. This is both a reference to marriage, the leaving and cleaving, and to sexual intimacy, the union of becoming one flesh. We will speak more of marriage specifically next week, but we have to make sure we understand in this whole conversation That all the talk of sex must be anchored in the marriage covenant. There's no sexual act or expression that's meant to take place outside of the marriage bed and outside of relationship with one's spouse. And why is this? Is it because God is a great killjoy? No, not at all. Because God has a good design. He's designed that the deepest, most personal, physical, emotional experience two human beings could have with each other would be experienced in loving, committed, covenant marriage. 
without a deep personal commitment to one another, without a covenant vow to give ourselves 100% to each other and only each other, the act of sex can never be what it was intended to be and will only be a shadow, tainted with regret, shame, and empty promises. Studies, even secular studies, repeatedly show that people who wait for sex until marriage report greater sexual quality in their relationships, greater stability in their relationships, and greater overall satisfaction. God's not seeking to deny us any pleasure. Just think about it. What a gracious God we have that the greatest physical representation He's given us of unity, intimacy, and bonding can be such an enjoyable experience. What does it say about our God that that the way that new human beings are brought into this world is meant to be through great pleasure and delight? He could have made it that we sit down and say, all right, well, it's time for a baby. Yes, let's, let's do this. No, he made it through a culmination of affection and delight that a man and a woman have for one another. Now, obviously, we live in a broken world. It doesn't always play out like that, but that is God's design. And it's absolutely beautiful. And it brings great glory to God because it's intended to point towards the deep affection and intimacy that is possible between us and God. Which is why for the single person or a couple with great struggles in their intimacy, we can still be fulfilled because guess what? As good as this can be, it stands only as a pointer towards the great joy and the pleasure that we have in the presence of our Lord. Sex points towards the intimacy with our God. Well, how does it reflect this intimacy? Well, as we all know from the early chapters of Genesis, humans need to be clothed. And while there are some people who somehow feel comfortable or say they do walking around exposed, the vast majority of us don't. Because we know there's something extremely personal, extremely vulnerable, extremely exposing about being unclothed before another human being. And so when we engage in this way, we are claiming before another person, I trust you deeply. I'm comfortable with you seeing all of me in a way that no other human being can or should. Our spouses know us, warts and all. Our spouses know our bodies better than we know them ourselves. And because this is a deeply exposing act, we cannot feel the full freedom and joy of revealing ourselves to someone else in that way unless we have committed to them. Our spouse should know that they are safe to engage and that after sharing themselves with us, they will not be abandoned. And this is true of us and our God. He knows us. He knows every inch of us. He knows every hair on our heads. And if we trust him and we commit ourselves to his son, Jesus Christ, and the forgiveness that he offers us, then we have no reason to fear but we have eternal reason to feel secure. We stand before him no longer in shame. Adam and Eve covered themselves and hid from God. 
Because of what Christ has done, we can stand before God unashamed of our sin and our guilt. And sex reflects this intimacy that we can experience. And apart from marriage, we cannot experience it in this safe and secure way. It's just a reality. Part of what's been so destructive, and don't be deceived, our hookup culture is deeply destructive The sexual revolution has been a major letdown. You can look up secular studies on these things. Promotes good, but it does nothing but tear down and destroy. Our bodies were made to respond to this act with deep physiological bonding. The the hormones released create an attachment and expectation of relationship that was not intended to be short-lived or in the context of a one-night stand. And in particular, women experience this bond in a heightened way. Thus, we are to cling to one another. Men, we should care deeply for the ladies in our lives, whether married or not, guarding emotions, giving them safety, refusing to treat them as objects to be used, but as partners to be cherished. Sex, then, far from simply being something that feels good, is a beautiful expression of care for another, trust for another, self-sacrifice for another, seeking the good and the pleasure of another, and them seeking the same for us in return. God has made us fearfully and wonderfully. And sexual intimacy is a glorious gift from our God. It's not the core of who we are. But it's good nonetheless. So the pursuit of marriage and the proper enjoyment of our spouses in marriage is God-glorifying. And us protecting that through honoring God with our bodies, even if we are unmarried, is God-glorifying. Because it is exalting what God says is good and right. It is exalting that image of God and his people. So we all play a part in making much of God in this area. However, unfortunately, this great gift often is terribly distorted. So, we've got this glorious gift. Let's talk now about the gross distortion. We cannot be deceived with such a good gift from God And a gift that reflects so powerfully our connection with God and God's love for us, our sinful flesh, and the enemy will try at all costs to tear our marriages down, to get us to abuse this good gift, to get us to rationalize and make excuses for our behavior. How many churches have been brought down through this area? I tried looking up statistics on infidelity in the United States. I'm certain there's no way to get an accurate idea of its prevalence because of how secretive it can be. But from what I could see, a conservative number would be something around 30% of marriages experience it at some point. And there were some estimates as high as 60%. It should be no surprise then that infidelity is the leading cause of divorce in our country. This marital Unfaithfulness is what is described here in our passage as adultery. But Jesus, we see, takes this to a new level. He includes a person's thought life in 
the infidelity category as well. Imagine how these numbers would increase if we included sexual fantasy as infidelity. Jesus knows that though marriage is a great gift intended to display and propagate his glory, and though sex is a sacred act that bonds a husband and wife together in a magnificent display of self-giving unity, we twist and distort it. And while our bodies and our spouses and other individuals bear the consequences of our sin, we sin this way because we stand in rebellion to God. If sex and sexual purity is meant to reflect us and our God, then abusing it shows that we don't care about our intimacy with God. That's why God often used adultery as an image for the sinfulness of his people. He describes it as adultery against him when we sin in any host of ways. So how then do we abuse this good gift? Well, as we've said, Scripture makes clear that it is intended for a husband and wife. So one of the greatest ways we can distort it is by engaging with it outside of marriage. It's absolutely prohibited in the Scriptures. It's especially true if we're married. I think most of us in this room would agree adultery is adultery. adultery. God gave us our spouses as a gift for us. We are not to seek another outside of our spouse, and we're not to take for ourselves someone else's spouse. It's an abomination to the Lord, and it breaks all of the trust and the security and the devotion that God has intended for our marriages and for sex. And do not be deceived. Discontentment with your spouse does not give you freedom to look elsewhere. But even those who are unmarried are not to engage sexually with another. You may say, oh, well, we really love each other, or I'm committed to somebody, or I just, I have to do this. But, but if you've not committed yourselves before God and others in a covenant bond of marriage, then you have no right to another person's body. To engage outside of marriage displays lack of self-control, which we're told in the scriptures were to be people who are self-controlled, shows a disregard for God's commands and it shows a disregard for the emotional shackles that are being forged through this glorious act. How many committed relationships have ended just as quickly as they began? Sex outside of marriage and sex in overtly adulterous relationships also shows disregard for the life that quite possibly could be created. A life that is intended to be cared for by mother and father in a loving and committed home by engaging with it outside of marriage or in adultery, we're either ignoring that human life can result or we're choosing not to care. Sex can be distorted both inside and outside of marriage through abuse. Sexual intimacy is never to be forced on another human being. Even within the bonds of marriage, Sex will be a part of a healthy marriage, Lord's willing, but even in that, we must display care and restraint and respect for our spouses. To force another human being into sexual acts is unacceptable. And God does not take it lightly. In the Old Testament, death was the consequence of rape. When we force ourselves upon another human being, we devalue them, And we denigrate the image of God. 
We treat them like they're nothing more than an object to be used. And as we said, sex is to be a display of self-giving. When we force ourselves on someone else, we completely turn that on its head and horrifically make it deeply self-serving to the pain and the detriment of another. Unless we think we're off the hook because we've not engaged sexually with another or abused another or committed adultery, the Lord goes straight for our hearts. He wants to root out the sin that bears all of these rotten fruits. And that sin is the inward lustful desires that we have, cravings for that which we're not meant to have, coveting that which isn't ours, longing for that which God has not ordained. Which is why he says that, that if we so much even look at a woman with lustful intent, we have committed adultery. This may seem extreme, but again, our hearts are what matters. We may be able to hide outward actions, but the Lord wants to transform our inward thoughts. And again, this is true of any area of our lives. The Pharisees looked really good on the outside, but inward we know they were whitewashed tombs. We cannot be fooled. When we engage with lustful thoughts, when we engage in self-pleasure, if we use pornography, we are deeply, deeply distorting God's good design. And do not think for a second that pornography or masturbation are victimless activities. If you're a married man or a woman, when you allow your mind to wander, when you linger on a thought about what it might be like to X, Y, or Z with another person, and especially when you view images, you are breaking your marriage covenant to your spouse and you are rebelling against God. God has given you, mercifully given you a spouse to love and to cherish and to honor and to enjoy. And no matter what the circumstances may be, there is never an excuse for engaging with someone else outside of your marriage, even in your mind. And men, we know this is a particular temptation for us. You must be on guard. And if you're not married, again, Scripture doesn't let you off the hook. By engaging with images or self-pleasure outside of marriage, you're choosing to ignore God's design for sexuality. And you're engaging in the same adulterous heart posture towards your future spouse should you get married or towards someone else's spouse or future spouse. You have no right to think sexually about another person. That defiles them even if they are not aware of it. And let's not be deceived either. The images and the thoughts that we give ourselves over to can be highly addictive and they leave long and lasting memories in our minds. Even years after engaging with an image, the memory can pop back up unannounced, having created a home in our brains because of our invitation. Speak as one who wishes I could go back and tell my younger self to avert his eyes. And along with that, pornography has shown time and time again to not offer lasting pleasure, but it actually damages the user. It ruins you for the sex that God has intended you to have. 
What extends itself as quick and easy pleasure like a drug requires greater and greater hits, causing burnout on your body and the inability to respond when you actually get the good gift in front of you that God has intended. It's destructive, not to mention how destructive it is for all those abused by the adult film and photography, pornography industries. It's a wicked thing. And we have it in our hands 24-7. Sex can be distorted in many other ways as well. We obviously know that people can engage sexually with the same sex, which is not what God designed, and we don't have time to go into that today. But we have to uphold God's view of marriage and sexuality. People can deny Sex to their spouses, husbands, and wives. Certainly room for not feeling up to it or or needing to work through issues, but we should, by God's grace, be eager to give ourselves to one another, and we certainly should never use sex or the denial of it as a means to punish our spouses. That's true of any kind of intimacy. We do not withhold affection from our spouse as a form of punishment. We can pursue it too much, showing a lack of self-control. Certainly, if we're unmarried, we practice restraint, but even in the bonds of marriage. Again, this is not the main focus and attention of our lives. It's a part of God's good gifts, but not the singular purpose of our creation, and it is not the sole purpose of our marriages. And the list could go on. We have to pursue purity and use our bodies as God has intended. So let's not settle for anything less. Because by doing so, we destroy one another and we also miss out on intimacy with our God. Which leads to our last point, the godly fight for purity. We've seen thus far in the Sermon on the Mount that Christ's followers will reflect his heart to the world. We've seen that if we don't bear the markings of Christ, then we are at the risk of fooling ourselves into thinking that we've trusted him when we actually haven't. Last week we heard that, that if we harbor anger in our hearts, we're liable to the hell of fire. And this week we see the same warning. A body whose members is given over to sexual impurity is liable to eternal judgment. Now I want to say, and I will continue to say in these messages so that it's always clear, we are not saved by our holiness. In this case, we're not saved by being sexually pure. We're not saved by remaining faithful in our marriages. No matter how hard we may try, all of us have sinned in one way or another and unfortunately will stumble and fall along the way. So purity, holiness is not our entrance ticket to heaven. That said, we have to take it seriously. We do not abuse the grace that has been given us through Jesus Christ. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church had forgotten this in this area. They had a man among them who was engaged in incest with his father's wife. The people were giving themselves over to to cult prostitution. And to this, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, wake up. 
Do not do the things that they do out in the world. They're perishing because of these things. That time is past. Live in light of eternity. Live in the goodness of the kingdom of God. Live in the grace that you have been given through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the Lord is saying to us in this passage. Wake up. It's better that you cut your hand off or gouge your eye out than to continue in sin and risk showing yourself by your bad fruit to be one who never truly knew the Lord. It's better to cut off your hand or gouge out your eye than to mess with sin which so easily entangles. To mess with sin that can lead to a hardness of heart described in the book of Hebrews. Sin that deceives and leads us to fall away from the living God. And we must all have this heart posture towards any sin in our lives. We cannot be content with it. We must take drastic measures in our battles against sin. Now, let's make clear, the Lord's not actually calling us to self-mutilation. I don't want to see a bunch of eye patches next week when folks are coming in here. That wouldn't even solve the problem. Again, the problem is the heart. An interesting aspect of this passage is that it was common in the Lord's day for the Jews to have a high standard of purity. But when it came to men, rather than seeing their own sin, they often blamed women. Therefore, women were required to cover themselves so as not to make the men sin. Now, I'm not arguing against modesty for the sake of protecting each other. That's a glorious thing. But the Lord does not make excuses for the men here in this passage. We and we alone are responsible for our sin. And it takes radical rejection of sin on our part. Not forcing others to do it for us, us pursuing purity ourselves. There's always going to be temptation around us to sin. And again, whatever variety of ways that takes, you have to decide what you do in the face of it. So what might this look like for us, especially as it relates to this area? Well, for one, we have to stop making concessions for sin in our lives. I know from personal experience how easy it is to say, I want to change, but to still leave open that crack of, yeah, but I know I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, because that's really what I want. I don't know if you can relate to that feeling, but I can definitely tell when my heart is in that place. And if that's where your heart is at, repent and ask the Lord for help to change that, that you would sincerely desire change in your life. With regard to sexual sin, may mean installing monitoring software on your computer or only using your phone in public. It may mean having an accountability partner who you can confess to. May mean confessing to your spouse struggles in your life. That can be painful, but sometimes that step is needed, especially since they are the ones that you are directly wronging. I'm aware of couples who have done that, and though painful, I've seen how the Lord has used their vulnerability with one another to bless and to heal and to bring restoration. Perhaps it means canceling Netflix or HBO. Maybe it means watching less TV. The list could go on, and I'm not seeking to make a list of do's and don'ts for you and how you pursue purity before the Lord, but what I can say emphatically is that we must be on guard. 
know our weaknesses, know our temptations, and where there are areas of sin we engage with, figure out how to kill it. This can be true even of emotional attachment to others. Men and women alike can engage with this. Be on guard against that. Watch your hearts. Even if at times it may seem silly or extreme, we pursue holiness. Seek counsel and input from others. Ask for help. And above all things, confess your sins and seek the Lord. And the wonderful thing is that as we do this, God responds. In 1 Corinthians, the passage concludes, And such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Lord can and does help us. The Lord can and does redeem broken relationships and heal sexual wounds and bring change to all manner of sinfulness. I myself used to have a heavy addiction to pornography when I was younger that lasted for years. I also engaged sexually in ways that dishonored the Lord. However, through confession, through the help of friends, through God's word, through radical action, it's been many years since that has been a problem for me, and I praise the Lord for that. And I know of many other stories like that as well. There is nothing in your life that the Lord cannot change. And the Lord cannot overcome. And let me say this as well. If the Lord says something is good, it's good. And any denial we may have to practice, any restraint we might have to do, any effort we put forward as we strive to live as the Lord commands pays off in spades. The Lord's ways are good. I'm so thankful in this area of the work that the Lord has done in my life And I see the fruit of it in my marriage. It's perfect, no. (laughs) We're sinful human beings. But I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I know of a lot of other marriages and situations, even those here in this room, where they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And they have seen the fruit of following his ways. Brothers and sisters, there's too much at stake for us simply to believe the cultural lies about sex. Let's honor the Lord, honor one another, honor our spouses, and respect our own bodies for his glory and for our good. And for any here who feel guilt and shame over the ways that they have sinned in these or any other areas, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ washes us clean of all unrighteousness if we turn to him. If you've already trusted the Lord, You have been forgiven. And if you've not trusted in Christ, he extends forgiveness to you despite whatever it is that you may have done or whatever it is that you find yourself caught in. There can be freedom. Freedom to walk in his ways, which produces true life, joy, and flourishing. As a challenge to us, I want to to close with this quote from author Nancy Piercy, who wrote an excellent book, Love Thy Body, about the way in which our current culture demeans the human body. It's an excellent read. She talks about its effects on all manner of things from abortion to 
sexuality, euthanasia, all sorts of things. And this stands as an excellent word for us to be lights in the midst of a crooked and broken generation. Christians will once again need to muster the courage to be radically countercultural. They will once again need to be prepared to minister to the victims of sexual abuse and predation, those wounded by the sexual revolution. They must do the hard work of making a case for the beauty of the biblical sex ethic with both their words and their lives. We have something beautiful to show the world. We have a good story to tell about our God and his son, Jesus Christ. Church, let's be a people who pursue holiness and purity because we know the great Savior who has made us pure. And let's long to see others be made pure as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to be people who are pure in spirit, that we pursue holiness and sanctification, that we long to see you glorified in the use of our minds and our bodies and our relationships. Father, help us to be radically countercultural in how we approach the world, how we approach others, how we approach our thoughts. And God, we ask that you would be glorified through us. We ask that others would be blessed by us. Help us to be people who give life, who seek the good and welfare of others, and who don't just sit and take it. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell, given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.